Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor John Rasmussen. again, uh, grace and mercy and peace to you in the name of Jesus, our Savior, and uh, just like Zechariah sang, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. Amen. If you'd like to follow along in your Bible, uh, open up to Luke chapter 1, the third gospel, Luke chapter 1. Really, we're taking a look at the earlier part of uh, Luke's gospel in chapter 1 and then the later part uh, from our reading. And while you're flipping there, let me just uh, give you a little reminder of what we're up to this Advent season. We are in the second of four sermons focused on these uh, four songs of praise in the first two chapters of Luke's gospel. Last week, we focused on that great song of praise from Mary when the angel announced to her the birth of our Lord. Uh, We call that the Magnificat. uh, That comes from the Latin word for magnify. Uh, in fact, we even sang it last week, and I really liked the way that the praise team kind of dropped a beat on Mary's song. That really sounded good. I like that. Uh, and uh, today we're going to sing uh, and talk about Zachariah's song called the Benedictus. Uh, that comes from a Latin word for blessing, uh, so like benediction, uh, because the beginning line is, blessed be <clears throat> the Lord, the God of Israel. So this is Zechariah's song, which he spoke after the birth of his son, John the Baptist, which he sang after a long period of silence. And like Mary's song, uh, we'll go ahead and sing this a little bit later. Uh, We'll sing it as our first communion song. Uh, We'll fire up the organ and give it our best shot uh, later in the service. Like Mary's Magnificat, this song has been central to Christian worship for centuries. It's been one of those cornerstone pieces of Christian worship. Uh, I'd say we're not as familiar with it as other songs that we're going to take a look at, like the Gloria, uh, the Glory to God in the Highest, or the Song of Simeon in two weeks. Uh, Usually it's been located in the service of matins or the service of morning prayer. Uh, Those are both in our hymnal. Uh, Those are intended for kind of daily worship services. Uh, So if you've got kids that go to Zion or have gone to Zion Lutheran School, uh, I think they may sing the Benedictus. Uh, You'll have to ask them if they sing it uh, or not. So let's take a look at Luke chapter 1, Zechariah's song. And I would say that Zechariah's song fits really well into Advent because Advent is a time of waiting. And this song is all about waiting and the fulfillment of waiting for God's promises. Advent is a time of waiting in which we remember uh, how God's people waited and waited for a long time for God to keep His promise to Abraham and to Israel to send a Savior. It's also a time in which we're waiting. We're waiting for God to finally keep good on His promises that the Lord Jesus would return and make all things new once and for all. 
Now, one of the things that you'll notice as you read the Bible more and more, as you become more familiar with the narrative of Scripture, is you will see that sometimes God asks His people to wait for something for a long, long time. Maybe you've seen that. Maybe in isolated stories or in the whole story of the Bible, God often makes His people wait for a long, long time before the fulfillment of His promises. I'll give you a couple examples. Abraham and Sarah waited for the majority of their lives for God to keep good on His promise to give them a son, Isaac. Joseph, later in the book of Genesis, waited for a long time in prison for God to finally exalt him and give him justice and reunite him with his family. The people of Israel were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. To put that into a little bit of perspective, that's longer than this nation has been in existence. 400 years in slavery before God finally sent Moses, his servant, to lead them out of Egypt and into the promised land. And when the last prophet of the Old Testament, Malachi, prophesied the very last words of the Old Testament, Israel waited in silence for 400 years. Not another prophet spoke during those years. 400 years or so before God kept good on His promise and Jesus was born. Sometimes God calls His people to wait a really long time before they receive what He has promised. And I would say that nobody knew that better than the priest Zechariah. Right at the beginning of Luke's gospel, chapter 1, starting on verse 5, we're introduced to this guy named Zechariah who was a priest and his wife Elizabeth. Luke tells us that they were righteous people who trusted God and who were keeping His commandments and waiting for the hope of Israel. But we're also told that they were waiting for something else. They were waiting for a child their entire lives. But up to this point, God had not said yes to that prayer. And alongside that waiting for a child, they were also waiting with God's entire people for the promise of a Savior. God had made a promise all the way back to Abraham that He would send them a Savior who would bring about uh, rescue and salvation, a Savior who would rule over them and redeem them forever. But ever since that last prophet of the Old Testament spoke roughly 400 years ago, there had just been silence. And so, I would say that Zechariah and Elizabeth were familiar with waiting. With the Jewish people, they had waited and waited and waited, perhaps even to the point that they forgot what they were waiting for, or maybe they had resigned themselves to the cold reality that maybe what they waited for would not take place in their lifetime. Because when they looked around, all they saw was Rome in charge and no hope on the horizon. Now, when God makes His people wait for what He promises a really long time, we can respond in one of two ways, generally speaking. On the one hand, we may lose our focus during that time of waiting. Our faith may lose its focus during that long period of waiting. Or on the other hand, we may respond by our faith having a sharper focus during that period of waiting. As we look at the Scriptures, we see plenty of examples of God's people losing their focus during the long period of waiting. So going back to Abraham, God promises Abraham a son even in his old age, but then Abraham has to wait. He gets impatient. 
And so he ends up hooking up with his uh, wife, Sarah's servant girl, Hagar. Uh, God gave him a plan A, but in the midst of the waiting, he forms his own plan B. Or God promised to lead Israel into the promised land after he saved them from their slavery in Egypt, but God decided to take his people on the long way, 40 years in the wilderness. And we're told in the book of Deuteronomy that one of the reasons why God had them take the long way was so that He could teach them how to trust Him, that man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. But in the midst of that waiting, while some were faithful, the great majority of Israel rebelled and resisted Moses. Really, they gave Moses a hard time all those 40 years. In fact, while Israel was waiting for Moses to return from the mountain with the commandments of God. You remember what Israel did during that time of waiting, right? They got impatient and they built for themselves a golden calf and worshiped it. Sometimes God makes us wait for His promises and sadly, sometimes in the period of waiting, it brings out in us the worst. It brings out a lack of trust, impatience, grumbling, impulsive decisions. Or sometimes we just plain miss the grace of what God is doing in that period of waiting. Or sometimes we even miss the answer when it's right there in front of us. I think this was especially true of Zechariah. Early in chapter 1 of Luke's gospel, we're told that while he's serving as priest in the temple, he's offering incense at the altar during the time of prayer. And during that time, an angel of the Lord visits him and announces to him the long-awaited promise of God. The angel says in verse 5, to paraphrase, he says, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. You are going to have a son. His name will be John, and he will turn the hearts of many back to the Lord their God. What Zechariah had been praying for for so long that maybe he even forgot that he prayed for it, was now here, a son. And what God's people had prayed for and longed for for generation after generation was now here. In fact, the very words that the angel speaks to Zechariah are very similar to the words of Malachi that close out the Old Testament. If you read those last sentences of the Old Testament, that's exactly what the angel is proclaiming is going to happen. After so much waiting, it was here. The promise arrived. But do you notice Zechariah's response in verse 18? Look at verse 18. The angel announces the good news, and Zechariah says, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. It's kind of a downer response in response to such good news. Zechariah had studied the Hebrew Scriptures his entire life as a priest. He knew the promises that God had made to Israel like the back of his hand. And if anybody in Israel should have been ready for this, if anybody in Israel should have responded to this announcement with joy and faith and excitement, it should have been this guy. But the angel tosses him the message and he just fumbles it. He says, huh? Are you sure about this? It seems like Zechariah had been waiting so long that his faith had gotten out of focus during that time of waiting. 
And so the angel Gabriel tells him in verse 20 that because he did not believe the good news announced to him, Zechariah would be silent and unable to speak until the things promised came to pass. Now, on the one hand, this might seem a little harsh, right? All these months of, uh, of silence. There is definitely a note of God's discipline here as Zechariah is put into vocal quarantine for nine months or so. But what I don't want you to miss here is that in the midst of this discipline, there is great grace. There is great grace given by God in this mandatory silence. Like I said before, sometimes those periods of waiting for God lead to a lack of focus, even unfaithfulness or unbelief, like the case with Zechariah. But other times, our periods of waiting for God to keep His promises are fruitful times. There are times in which our faith is more deeply focused, and we draw closer to God and see things with greater clarity. And that is, I believe, exactly what happens with Zechariah during his time of silence and waiting that God imposes upon him. For nine long months, maybe more, about the length of time that you and I have been dealing with COVID, Zechariah is silent. He's unable to speak. And all he can do is just sit there and wait in silence. But I believe that in that time of silence, something happened to Zechariah during that waiting. I believe that during this time of silence and waiting that God brought his faith into sharper focus. I believe that God renewed within him the hope that he had promised to Israel. I believe that the Holy Spirit took what Zechariah always knew in his head and made Zechariah understand it clearly in his heart, not as a theory, but as a reality. And I believe this because after that long time of silence, when Zechariah was finally able to open his mouth and speak after his son John was born, what did he say? I suppose that Zechariah could open his mouth and curse God for those long months of silence. He could have grown bitter, angry, complacent because of the silence imposed on him. But that is not what happens. Instead, the first thing Zechariah speaks after the silence is he speaks this song of praise that has become a cornerstone of our worship as the church. Look with me at verse 67 of chapter 1. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This entire song shows that during Zechariah's time of silent waiting, God had helped this man to put all the pieces together. 
He was able to see with laser-focused clarity that God was keeping all of His promises to Israel and to the world, promises that went all the way back to Abraham. He could now see in the silence that salvation had come, that God had kept His promises even if the time of waiting was long and dark. His mouth was silenced because of his lack of faith, but on the other side of that silence, God opens his mouth to declare his faith boldly with a song of praise. As I read this text this past week, I found myself kind of identifying with Zechariah. And I think if you, if you look at Ze- Zechariah's situation, you'll identify with him as well, with his waiting, even with silence. For one, we're in this season of Advent, this season of waiting for God to finally show up, wrap up history, and make all things new. We're waiting for Jesus Christ to return to live, judge the living and the dead, to set this world to right, to wipe away every tear, to make all things new once and for all. But in the midst of Advent waiting, we're also in the middle of pandemic waiting, this long season of COVID, struggling with isolation and distance. In fact, perhaps some of you watching right now are in quarantine. Perhaps some of you here have been in quarantine, stuck, not able to do anything. We're living really in a time of silence, a time of waiting, a time of not really knowing when all this is going to be over. The question that I found myself wrestling with in this text and that I want you to wrestle with is this. In this period of waiting, of silence, both waiting for our Lord to return and waiting for things to go back to normal in our lives, is your faith growing out of focus or is it growing more focused? In this time of silence and waiting, are you busy building idols for yourself that will help you to relieve your uncertainty for a moment? Or are you clinging more tightly to the promises given to you in Jesus Christ? Is Jesus Christ becoming to you in these months more blurry or more clear? I remember how optimistic many of us were back in March and April when this all started. To put the best construction on things, uh, some of us may have seen quarantine as an opportunity. I saw this quite a bit on Facebook an opportunity to spend more time with family, an opportunity to focus on the things that really matter, an opportunity to be thankful for the blessings that we do have, an opportunity even to grow deeper in our faith. And as a church, I would say that we saw this as an opportunity to worship in different ways, to get God's Word beyond the walls of this church. But wouldn't you agree that about nine months in, I'd say the optimism has definitely worn off. I mean, we're all just tired, we're all frustrated, we're all weary of making decisions, we're all grieving in some way or another whether we know it or not. As we look towards Christmas, we're not sure if we'll see family or if we should see family. We know there's a vaccine on the way, but we don't know when it will arrive or where we'll stand in line to get it, either front or back. In fact, I can say for the first time ever in my life, I'm able to say with absolute confidence that I am not confident about planning anything, either in church or in my own life, vacations and whatnot. It's a really weird place to be. 
Now, I don't want to try and make our situation sound better than it is, but I do want us to see the opportunity here, even in the midst of darkness and uncertainty. I want us to continue to see the opportunity because I suspect that nine or ten months in, we've lost track of, we've lost sight of the opportunity before us. With times of silence, with times of uncertainty and waiting, with times of unrest and deep, deep disappointment and pain, God is often at work doing His best work in us, causing us to let go of the things that we put our hope in that would eventually fade and fail us, causing us to put our hope in the things that really do last and the things that do matter, the things that survive eternally. During these times of silence, God is at work in us to take what we always believed in our head or confessed with our mouths and cause us to really grab onto it and believe it in our hearts for real, even giving us a new song to sing on the other side of suffering. The Apostle Peter puts it this way in his first letter as he writes to a church of suffering, struggling Christians living in uncertainty so long ago, he wrote this. He said, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, in a world in which nothing is certain, even if you think it is, in a world in which everything will most certainly crumble and fall and be taken away from you in the end, even if you think you hold on to it firmly, in that kind of a world, Peter says, set your hope fully, completely, focus your hope fully, let it rest upon the grace of God that will be revealed to you when Jesus Christ returns and makes all things new. That's what we're to focus our hope on with absolute clarity during this time of waiting. We've already seen this grace revealed in the cross. It's in the cross of our Lord Jesus that God's tender mercies that Zechariah sang about came true in full. And we've seen His grace revealed already at our Lord's resurrection from the grave where He defeated death. It's there that the empty tomb that we see the sunrise of God's love and mercy shine on us from on high as Zechariah sang about. And it is in Jesus and everything that He is and does that we've seen God's faithfulness shine like the sun in its full strength. And so even in dark times, we trust that the light is soon to dawn, even if the, light be long, the night be long. And so as God's people in this time of silence, in this time of waiting, and then finally when Christ is revealed, we sing together, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. Blessed be the Lord. Amen. Oh,